Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon, and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. Deep into our 29th year here together, Saturday afternoons, Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning, where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download previous broadcasts. You can also go to the free app SoundCloud and download previous broadcasts as well without the commercial breaks. And this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a great idea to start early. It gives me ample time to do my best to answer your questions. So one more time, 512-836-0590. Judy, you're on the air. How may I help? Yes, sir. Um, I have some family and friends that um, I told them I was going to ask about MIGAS today mm-hmm. because I thought it'd be nice for them to learn about MIGAS, multi-year mm-hmm. guaranteed annuities. Mm-hmm. And um, if you could explain what those are and then sure. explain maybe, I mean, from my understanding, if you purchase a money market for the same amount, the interest rate might fluctuate. Sure. As I understand, you're not really locked in. Right. Then maybe with the MICA you are, but I'm going to get quiet and listen okay. to you. Sure. Explain the things yes. about MICAs. So multi-year guaranteed annuities. First of all, uh, anytime that the word annuity appears, that means it's an insurance product and issued by an insurance company. And typically, annuities, that, like the ones we're talking about, fixed annuities, variable annuities, multi-year guaranteed annuities, offer tax deferral. By that, I mean whatever interest you earn while you own, the, you own the annuity, unless you withdraw it, you're, you're not going to pay taxes. So you can let it continue to grow in value. The second thing is frequently there may be what's called a market value adjustment or perhaps a surrender charge. I'm not an expert on that part. But the annuity company, in offering you this guaranteed rate, has marketing and sales costs. And if you were to purchase a multi-year guaranteed annuity and then immediately turn around, say, six weeks or three months later and decide to cash it in, I believe that you could then get less than... uh, what you would would have put in. So it's a longer-term investment. Also, typically, when you have tax-deferred investments, whether they're pre-tax contributions, say, to an IRA or they're in an annuity, you want to make sure that when you begin to take the money out that you're over age 59 and a half and not subject to the tax penalty and only pay income tax when you come out. Multi-year guaranteed annuities have been popular for several years, in my opinion, because interest rates were so low and they offered competitive interest rates to certificates of deposit, even though they're not guaranteed by the FDIC. Now we're in a period with very high short-term interest rates when compared to the past, and so you bring up a very good question about money market funds. 
So a money market fund is not a money market account. A money market account is something you typically have at a bank or other financial institutions. A money market fund is, as the word says, fund. It's a mutual fund, but it doesn't invest in stocks and it doesn't invest in longer-term bonds. It invests in short-term securities. And there are three kinds of money market funds, typically. One's called prime, the next one's called government, and the third one is called treasury. And the one that's called prime invests in issued debt issued by corporations, typically high-quality corporations. So let's say that IBM wants to borrow $100 million for 180 days. They would go out into the money market, that is for securities of less than one year mature, and they would say, we'd like to borrow $100 million for 180 days, and the money market fund would, would bid on that and put that into their portfolio, knowing that IBM was a high-quality credit and not a risk, and also that they would be getting their money back and they'd be getting interest as well. That's a prime money market fund. A government money market fund usually owns issues that are come directly from the, from the federal government, so those would be treasury securities, short-term treasury securities, but also what are called uh, government agencies, and the two that come to mind are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So they can own Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac debt as well as straight treasury debt. They're also considered quite safe. And then the third one, the treasuries, really is just it only buys direct U.S. Treasury debt. It doesn't buy Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, and it doesn't buy IBM, as an example. So what you would anticipate is that the prime would pay slightly more than the government, and the government would pay slightly more than the treasury. I was just looking before I came on the air, and I noticed, for example, uh, in the, I've just used Fidelity, as people know I'm not uh, recommending anything, and there was about a 0.2% difference, more or less between 4.8% for the Treasury and more or less 5% for the government. You have daily liquidity, so unlike the multi-year guaranteed annuity, uh, you can take your money out anytime you want to, but you're absolutely right. You're not locking in any return whatsoever. It's going to float depending on interest rates. So, for example, the Federal Reserve in the person of Jerome Powell has consistently said that they will continue to keep rates high until inflation moves back to, to its 2% target. It we're quite a ways from that, and so it's likely that these more or less 4.75 to 5% plus yields are likely to sustain for a period of time. And yes, you'll pay taxes on those yields, although you can buy tax-exempt money market funds, which are completely different. Having said that, eventually interest rates will come down. They may come down because we have a recession, or they may come down because inflation comes down, or both of those things could occur at the same time. Then eventually money market fund returns would come down. So the first consideration is your need for liquidity. Is it better for you in your investment planning to lock it in for several years? Then you want to consider the multi-year guaranteed annuity. Would you like liquidity so you can get your hands on the money without any kinds of penalty? Then you would consider the money market fund. So while they're both paying at competitive interest rates, Compared to what's happened in the past, they're used for very different purposes. And so that's, that's my explanation.
Okay, you're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Richard, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl. Uh, Hi. Uh, have you ever heard of a uh, real estate acceleration loan? It's supposedly a bridge loan, uh, and it's being offered by a company out of Atlanta. It's a three-month loan. Uh, and uh, they're saying that uh, 10% after three months. Uh, it sounds like a scam to me, but I just thought I'd yeah, see if you Yeah, of course. I have not heard of that, but I share your skepticism because of the, the two things that make it make me wonder. One, the short duration compare, com, and, and with such a high interest rate that leads you to believe that uh, they're in, they're providing bridge loans to some pretty risky situations because if you were a borrower and you needed money on a short-term basis and you went to the bank and had collateral, I'm, I'm skeptical that they'd charge you 10% for three months. The other thing is they're actually, uh, the, the notes are actually yielding more than that because the sponsor is not doing it because it lacks, because the sponsor lacks Richard or Carl. They're doing it to make a profit. And so what that means is that, that notes might be yielding 12% or 13%, and they're offering it to you at 10. Uh, I'd be, I, I share your skepticism. It may well not be a scam, uh, what, but it, it, if it's a security, meaning that they've had to file that with the regulatory authority, or it's not a security in the common sense of the term, but the only way you can buy it is be what's called a credited investor with a million dollar net worth or some other high types of, of barriers to that. So frankly, when I run into these real high short-term yielding securities that I can't really understand, uh, I'm with you. I think I would just run as fast as I could in the other direction, Richard. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, a company out of Atlanta, and they say that they're loaning it to developers to develop land, and they, they're going to buy property with the, uh, the uh, money from the loan, and that's going to be the uh, uh, collateral for the loan. But it makes, you wonder, anyway, it makes you wonder about the maturity. If they're going to buy land and land doesn't have any rental income coming from it, how in the world are they going to guarantee they can pay you off in three months? I mean, that seems to me like there's real risk there. Well, they're saying they're uh, selling, they're 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 uh, dealing with developers that are going to develop that land. Right, but what did the how? Why would the developers borrow the money for three months? It seems to me uh, they'd either borrow it for a lot longer period of time. I mean, they just would. Well, anyway, I share your skepticism, so <laughs> we we both aren't going to do it. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for me to take a break. It's a terrific time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'm going to visit with Graham when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Glenn, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Hi. I realize this is partially a tax question, but I've got 
bonds that are in an inherited Roth IRA account, yes. Yes. beneficiary account. Yes. And with this new 2019 10-year required minimum distribution yes. rule, they're going to have to be taken out mm-hmm. before they mature. Mm-hmm. And so all the taxes are going to be taxable instead of being in the Roth account where they wouldn't be taxable. Right. Any suggestions or ideas yeah. about? Yeah. Well, there are two or three things. Um, are they um, they're individual bonds? Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Are they corporate bonds or are they U.S. treasuries? What's the nature of the bonds? Uh, most of them are corporate or uh, you might like state bonds. They're not municipal bonds, but okay. they may be state or okay. something like that. All right. Are they at um, high, or since they're long-term bonds? Are what more or less? And I'm just trying to decide whether whether to keep them or not. Since what's happened yeah. to interest rates, yeah. Uh, what's the coup? What's kind of what are the coupons and what are the interest rates on the on these bonds, Glenn? Uh, they vary from uh, around six to about seven and a half. Okay, so they're 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 paying competitive rates. If they're investment grade bonds, then those those are are still pretty attractive bonds. So exactly, yeah. yeah. There, there's no reason. To, you're gonna to your point, and for everybody else, what Glenn's talking about is, in the old days, a couple years ago, when you inherited an IRA, that was called a beneficiary IRA. When you inherited a Roth, that was called a beneficiary Roth IRA, and you were required to take an annual distribution, but it was over your life expectancy. So if you inherited, say, your mother's Roth IRA, and you were 53 years old. You could take it out over the next 30 years, and it would really be a modest required minimum distribution. They shifted the rule, changed it. So now you have you do not have an annual required minimum distribution, but you must completely empty the beneficiary IRA or Roth IRA within 10 years of the receipt. And that's what Glenn's talking about, because Carl, I am— for- Carl, yeah. actually— from what I understand, as of the first of this year, they've interpreted that law to say you have to take out ten percent every really one every ten years. Yeah, I did not know that they've changed it because before you had the flexibility to take exactly. it. You, you, you could take it all out on the tenth year if you want. Yeah, to. yeah. Well, then if I thank you for telling me that, because I haven't read that in the literature. So, you know, you really don't. There's really nothing you can do. You've got to comply because your custodian is going to report to the revenue service if you don't take the the RMD. And the, I don't know now with what the penalty is now, but again, pre, in the old days, the penalty on not taking a required minimum distribution was 50% tax on the amount of the required minimum distribution. So it was a very bad deal to make sure yeah. people did it. You've got high, more or less high coupon bonds. If those are investment-grade bonds, you know, you're just going to have to take them out, but you don't have any reason to do anything except to hold them as long as they're appropriate for your portfolio because they sound like you're pretty attractive bonds to me. But you've informed me. I haven't helped you very much, but that's what you're going to have to do, I suppose. Well, is it my, am I correct that when the you pay taxes on the, the proceeds from the interest on the bonds, when they're mature, it's not like an annual thing. So Well, it depends on the nature of no, no. It depends on the nature of the bond. Most bonds you pay, you get the, you get uh, income every six months. So if it's a six percent bond, for every thousand dollar 
par value, you get $30. So if you have 10 bonds, you get $300 every every year, $300 every six months, and that's a taxable event. So first of all, these bonds are going to come out, and that the whole the entire market value is going to be subject to income tax. And then if you hold the bonds, then your cost basis for those bonds is the value that you that was your required minimum distribution. Now, if you hold the bonds and they're coupon bonds, not zero coupon bonds, they're going to pay you interest every six months. And if they're corporate bonds, they're going to be subject to tax. And so, if you don't want to pay the tax on the um, on the, on the bonds, then you can either liquidate the bonds and take the required minimum distribution in cash, or you can take the bonds as required minimum distribution in kind and sell them later. Either way, your current coupon bond, you're going to get interest income every six months, and you're going to pay tax on that income. Oh, okay. So if they're if they're coupon bonds, I may not. It wouldn't be like I'd hit with the whole interest amount in one year when they mature. Then. No, that's exactly right. The only kind you oh. do is zero coupon bonds, and, and depending on the kind of those, you may have accrued interest due every year, but you don't get the cash till the end. But these sound like pretty traditional current coupon bonds, Glenn. Okay, great. Thanks okay. a lot, Carl. You I appreciate bet. it. Okay, thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We're off to a great start. Don't let us down. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text from this afternoon. Carl, what are your thoughts on advanced micro devices and or Tesla? Uh, should I hold them or sell? Bail, actually, this person said. <laughs> well, I had a chance, luckily, because the text came in prior to uh, us going on the air. So I just went to Yahoo Finance, and yesterday... AMD closed at $113.91, and its 52-week price range was a low of $54.57 and a high of $132.83. In the case of Tesla, closed yesterday at $261.77 per share, and its 52-week range is $101.81 to a high of $314.67. So we can we can infer that the person who sent this text has had a heck of a run if uh, he or she has bought them at lower prices, and both of these names are trading at the higher end of their range. Now, we have to step back and think about this. I had a chance to meet with some people who represented uh, behavioral finance. In fact, uh, two of the behavioral finance, two of the, of the real giants, uh, Danny Kahneman and Richard Thaler, got Nobel Prizes in this. And one of the things that they believe, and they must have been pretty persuasive to get a Nobel Prize, is that people tend to sell their securities too early, that they tend to take profits too early and hang on to their losers too long. Uh, and that's uh, partly because we experience a 10% gain as 10%, and we experience a 10% loss as a 20% loss. And so we don't want to sell it and take our loss and have that painful experience. If you bought these because you like the fundamentals and you thought the outlook for both of these companies was terrific, then you may not want to sell them. There may be some portfolio strategy reasons for it. For example, typically, even in a, a, in a focused mutual fund or exchange-traded fund, they'll have no fewer than 30 names and probably between 30 and 50 stocks. Well, that means their average holding is between you know, two and a half and 3.3%. 3 
So if advanced micro devices and Tesla uh, are, you know, 20% of your overall equity allocation, then, you know, you're going to, that's too much. And as a result, you may want to sell, but you don't necessarily, if you're still positive on the business outlook, that doesn't mean you got to sell all of it. You want, what you want to do is right size it. But if the pot, it, obviously investors are enthusiastic and optimistic about both of these companies, given what I said about where they stand today in their 52 week price range. I'm not a stock picker. I'm not a stock analyst. Uh, as most as most listeners know, I prefer mutual funds and exchange traded funds. And I admit this: when you're in a good stock and it does really, really well, if you're in Nvidia this year, you did better than any mutual fund that I could ever see. But they also it can also go in the other direction. And Tesla, for sure, is very, very volatile. And for many years, because I've been around for so long, advanced micro devices was a, was a kind of an also ran when compared to Intel. But Intel really has lost a lot of of uh, shall we say its cachet it's, uh, because it's stumbled in its business. And advanced micro devices has really come on strong. I have no fundamental reason that I'm aware of to sell AMD. And of course, what you're reading in the press about Tesla is that other automobile manufacturers who are building and will be selling electric vehicles are signing on to Tesla's charging stations. So even though I read that in the CHIPS Act uh, that the government uh, passed, that there, were, there was money in there for charging stations, and it was a different format than the Tesla charging format, a lot of people are signing up with Tesla. So the news is good. And frankly, I don't have a reason to sell other than what I said, if you have an overweighting because they've done so well. Thanks for the question. It's time for me to take a break, listen to the news, and time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. Stick around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another half hour. Had a great first half hour with good questions and a good text. Now, we don't have any questions or any text, so it's a perfect time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online at newsradioklbj.com right now, or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of our free, previous broadcasts, and also you can go to SoundCloud and download them there as well. And then this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show, 512-836-0590. A couple of weeks ago, we had a text regarding the sale of a piece of real estate with the seller getting part of the sales price, but not all of it, and some of it would be staged out over future years. I suspect that's called an installment sale, but I want to quickly add, as everyone knows, I'm not a CPA or a tax attorney, nor have I ever played one on television. So our regular listener and expert in all things, Ken, said that the tax on the gain would be deferred until the payments are received, which makes a lot of sense. I remember the text that was something like a 
maybe a million dollar sale and 500,000 now and then spread out over maybe 5 years the remaining 500,000 so what ken is saying is that those subsequent payments would then generate the tax the tax event he also said that the payments that this person gets are allocated to his gain basis and interest this requires an amortization schedule since the interest is front-loaded. That's pretty technical, so you want to make sure you either really understand that or you get a a tax expert to help you. The interest is reported because you presumably are getting interest on the outstanding amount, is what Ken assumes correctly. So the interest is reported as ordinary income. And after accounting for the interest, the remainder of each payment is allocated between non-taxable basis, meaning what you actually paid for it in the first place, and the reportable gain on the gross profit it calculated at the point of the sales agreement. So that's a bit complicated, but I think I wanted to t- say it again because last week I rattled it off pretty quickly. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. John, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Uh, Hi. Hey, years ago, uh, we were talking about MIG as annuities. Yes, sir. Years ago, we bought a annuity at uh, 17%. <laughs> oh, yeah. We still got it. It's paying 3%. So that's not, they don't guarantee anything. Yeah, and I, you know, years ago, those were the, those fixed annuities where you could buy them and get a guaranteed interest rate, but that only lasted for a certain length of time. And to your point, I remember those days, John, and then what would happen as interest rates came down, then they would reset the interest every year, and uh, they all came all the way down with short-term interest rates. Now, wh- I'm just curious, when the, when the rates started to get so low, what kept you from cashing in the annuity? Why didn't you just cash it in? Well, because the company went bankrupt. So did you get your money back? Yes, the state of Arkansas interceded, and they turned it over some other. And it was Baldwin. Baldwin. Yes, Baldwin United. I think they turned. I think they sold the book of business to maybe to a big company like Metropolitan Life. I think or somebody right. like that. And yeah. So, well, they turned it over. We we we, we could have got our money back, but. Uh, the interest rate went down to three percent. Yeah, but you know, over the years, three percent hasn't been too bad. No, it hasn't. Yeah, good. But uh, anyway, that, okay. see, when you buy them, that's that. When they when they say five percent now, that's not guaranteed. Okay, well, I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. You you're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Marianne, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. I did not catch the early part of the uh, program today, and I've just had uh, some, uh, I guess, questions about why the market has done well here in the last few days, and interest rates are still uh, going to be high and higher, and just your thoughts on on the markets in relation to all of that. Well, I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's just remarkable. And I was I, to show you the disparity in the market. I just got this piece yesterday, and it was called "New Economy Beats Old Economy." Through June twenty-first, the Nasdaq one hundred. So that's not the full Nasdaq. I suspect that's the the one hundred largest market capitalization stocks, which are heavily weighted to to you know tech stocks. Since June twenty through June twenty-first, the Nasdaq one hundred 
was up 35.9% year-to-date versus a gain of just 2.4% for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. The 33.5% percentage point spread between these two large-cap U.S. equity indexes is easily the widest through the first 117 trading days of any year since the NASDAQ 100 began in 1985. Now, the reason I bring that up, because you, you ask an excellent question, this is still a stock market with pretty narrow leadership. You know, back in the 90s, when we had five consecutive years of uh, of 20 plus percent returns on the S&P 500, it people didn't pay attention to it at the time, but the market leadership be, was became very narrow so that names like Cisco Systems and Dell Computer were driving the indexes. But back then, the value stocks were really under, like the Dow today. I remember back then a couple of large actively managed funds, and we're talking a long time ago, Growth Fund of America that in 1999 was up, I think, 43 or 44% and another fund in the same family of American funds, which was a dividend-paying stock fund called Washington Mutual, was up 4%. And people would say, what in the world, what's going on? Well, it was because uh, we were moving into what we now call the dot-com boom and bust, but people were placing much bigger bets and higher valuations on tech stocks, and they're doing it again today. The poster child, of course, has been NVIDIA, because of all this enthusiasm for artificial intelligence. You make some excellent points, which is last year, tech stocks were the either the worst or one of the worst performing groups after in 2021 being one of the best performing groups. And the narrative last year was, well, growth stocks whose earnings are out in the future are going to be hurt by rising interest rates. But this year, to your point, we have rising interest rates and a lot of the growth stocks uh, are still doing well. You know, if there's a lesson here, and I know you're a long-term investor and you pay attention to these things, if there's a lesson here is you can't predict the future. And no matter what people said at the beginning of this year about rising interest rates and the probability of a recession, investors are just very enthusiastic about a small group of large-cap stocks. So you end up, when you look at you know, small the small cap indexes, for example, they're single digits. When you look at the international indexes, they're single digits. If you just compare the S&P 500, which is up a wonderful 16.79%, but the NASDAQ, I'm, here I'm using exchange-traded funds, the ONEQ, which is the Fidelity NASDAQ exchange-traded fund through yesterday, is up an amazing 32.51%. So, you know, will this come to an end? Yes. But I got to tell you, my experience is good things happen and they last longer than you anticipate and bad things happen and they last longer than you anticipate. So if a person owns, uh, you know, a focused ETF like the NASDAQ 100, uh, just beware that when this thing turns, based on my 45 years, it's going to have, it's going to turn and it's going to be bloody. But I don't know when that's going to happen. So I go back to what I said earlier before you perhaps were listening. We had a questioner asking whether I thought she or he should hold or sell their AM advanced micro devices 
and their Tesla stock? And my answer was, I have no reason to think that the outlook for either company is negative. It's no doubt positive. They're selling at the higher end of their 52-week range. But what you really want to pay attention to in your port- is your portfolio strategy and, and how much, because if you happen to own the NASDAQ 100 and it's up that, that much, what percentage of your equity allocation is that? Because I can tell you, if you were managing, if you were managing the Marianne Mutual Fund, which effectively you are, and you had 30 stocks in there, you wouldn't have more than four or five. A big position would be five percent of one stock. So when you get a narrowly led market like this, you can enjoy it, but you do not want to have an overweighting in it. You do want to have international stocks which are underperforming. You do want to have value stocks which are underperforming, because the the tide will turn and it'll happen. It'll happen with a vengeance. So I just think the thing to do is we just enjoy this while it lasts. It's got everybody who's a fundamentalist and a and an economist scratching her head because of high inflation and uh, also uh, high interest rates. But now you know we've been expecting as someone many people have written this is the most anticipated uh, anticipated recession in years and it hasn't occurred. So I just think that's the case. There's no simple answer. Uh, we've got a huge momentum behind us, huge tailwind, uh, and I just think you want to keep a, a proper proportion in your in your in your portfolio strategy and enjoy the consequences, Marianne. That's all I can say. Thank you, Carl. You, <laughs> okay. you you were very helpful in explaining, and I think many many of us can uh, benefit from that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for me to take a break. And if you've been thinking of calling or texting, you're starting to run out of time. Five one two eight three six zero five ninety. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another 15 minutes. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. I just got an email from a friend who has a beneficiary IRA and she spoke with her uh, accountant and the accountant said, due to the IRS not providing clear instructions on required minimum distributions from inherited IRA accounts, none were required. None were required in 2022 and no penalties will be assessed. Required minimum distribution is required for 2023. And they're still waiting on the IRS to confirm how to calculate it, believe it or not. And here we are, the 1st of July. Nancy, thank you for that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio, KLBJ, 512-836-0590. Gary, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Hi. Uh, you're probably your last question, and I tuned in late about the uh, first question you had yes. today about uh, taxability of a rollover Roth IRA. Are are the uh, receivers of a rollover Roth IRA required to pay taxes on that? So here's what we're talking about. We weren't talking about a rollover IRA. We were talking about a beneficiary IRA. Or, yeah, 
yeah, a beneficiary. Yeah. yeah so, right. so the way it Excuse works me. is, if you have an IRA, you have to. The, your custodian requires you, when you open that, open the IRA account, to designate a beneficiary. And if you're married, it's it's always your spouse, unless he or she signs a document saying it's okay with, with me to be somebody else. Then let's suppose you and your spouse have IRAs. You predecease your spouse. She has yours. She can put it in her IRA if she wants to, and then she passes away, and then somebody else is going to get that IRA, and that's a beneficiary IRA. And what we're learning today is that there's going to be a required minimum distribution from that IRA this year, and when that comes out, uh, that's going to be subject to tax. If it's a Roth beneficiary IRA, then obviously it's got a if it's got a required minimum distribution, but it's a Roth, it's not taxable. But apparently this year now you're going. There, the rule was you had ten years to do it. Apparently that's changed, uh, and you've got to take uh, a portion out this year. That's my understanding. So um, now I'm I'm going a beneficiary. I'm yes. playing favorites. I give a portion or a Roth IRA to my favorites and yes. the regular IRAs to the yep. others. Yes. So the favorites, I'd say, do they have to pay tax? No. No. They don't, okay. no, they, they don't have to pay tax. Right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, thank so you. So I, 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 if you've got a list, put me on the favorite list, Gary. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks for calling. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Let's see. (laughs) Oh, here I got a text. Uh, Carl, you are still my second best friend on Saturdays. You're so correct about people selling too early. Stop fighting the tape. (laughs) You're right. 512-836-0590. Well, I got some sobering information. I'm I'm on the email list from a local uh, realtor who keeps up with the latest data in the Austin market. And, you know, I, I'm sure not everyone thinks this, especially if you've been around a long time, but people who have, who have been around for a short time are going to be surprised about what I'm going to tell you. So this is about Austin residential real estate. The median price, okay, so we're not saying the high price, the low price, the median price, with half the houses selling above this amount, half the houses selling below this amount. The median price uh, last month was $469,000. Now, in the last year, that's down 15%. 15%. The number of homes sold at 3,217 was down 10%. The, number, the median number of days on the market was up 49 days. That's a 96% increase in median days on the market. The supply of inventory has gone to 3.1 months. That's up 55%. Now, I read that six months is a more normal time, so that's still a short uh, inventory, but it's up 55% from a year ago in May. And then this is an interesting one. The amount of homes sold above the listing price, 18% of the homes sold above the listing price, that's a decline of 73%. And the new listings, about 4,081, are down 9% from the month before. And the median price per square foot is $236 per square foot, 
and that's down 18% from a year ago. So if you were the unlucky person that bought the median-priced home in May of 2022, right now, according to these data, you have a 15% loss. So if you put 10% down, you're underwater, and your house is worth less than your mortgage. I'm not suggesting anything other than all assets cycle. And there's no thing that you can own that goes up every year that has the ability to beat inflation. You have to live through the cycles. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let's see what else I can look at here today. Oh, as, as I think regular listeners know, uh, I do an update on the various indexes that you and I can own using exchange-traded funds uh, and also uh, so that you can't buy an index, but you can buy uh, the iShares uh, 500, I beg your pardon, the uh, State Street Spiders 500, S&P 500 as an example. Okay, so I think if you've heard me listen to me quite a while, you know that when it comes to actively managed stock funds, my experience is you can find a manager who outperforms their benchmark in good times, or you can find a manager who outperforms their benchmark in bad times by going down less. But at least in my experience, it's next to impossible to find somebody who does both. And I was looking at three funds. I'm not going to give you the names because uh, I actually own these, but I'm looking at a stock fund. And what I'm going to do is give you how they, what their performance ranked them in the Morningstar database of, of comparable funds. So if Morningstar says a fund's a large value fund, they believe it's compared to uh, other funds. Ah, we got a caller. I guess you're going to have to wait for me to get to that. 512-836-0590. Barbara, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, I just wanted to mention for the people who are discouraged about, uh, you know, having bought homes in the last couple of years, we bought our house in 94 out in Lost Creek, and it was like 212, and we bought it at the very tip-top height of a market search. <laughs> yeah. so, so much so, you'll never have heard this before, the county, when we went to protest our values, they actually said, wow, y'all pay too much. Hey, Bob, look at how much they paid for this house. <laughs> they were calling people down the hall to look at how stupid we were. So, well, you know, 30 years later, yeah. it's worth like a million and a half. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, I'll, so I'll time, give you, time. yeah, yeah, I'll give you, time heals all wounds. I'll give you a personal example. I, My wife and I bought a house in 2000 and it's 21 years ago, 2002. And I got my first property tax notice and it was, uh, the appraisal value was way above what I paid for it. So I called or whatever you do, and the person said, okay. And then a few weeks later, I got a call from a human being and said, uh, Mr. Stewart, you're going to be very popular in your neighborhood. And I said, why is that? He said, in your neighborhood, we're dropping the, we're dropping the appraised value 35%. <laughs> and one of my neighbors did what you and your husband did and bought it right at the top of the market. The first house I owned in Austin, I was I bought it in 1978. I was over, I think it was 3,300 square feet. It had, I mean, it had uh, four bedrooms. It was huge, big lot. I paid $107,000 for it, $107,000 for it. 
I sold it 24 years later, and I calculated the nominal return, and my annualized return was 3.5%. But that didn't take into account the taxes I'd paid and the insurance and everything else. So yeah, you're right. It really depends on two things, when you buy it and how long you hold on to it, right? <laughs> You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Let's see here. What I just looks like I just got something in. Let me see. Call this up here, and it says, "Every year we have done our taxes is always around tax time in April. This year we paid four times more with no changes in income. Both me and my wife are retired. Now received a letter from." It's wanting us to pay a penalty for not making quarterly payments. What's up with this? Always just done our taxes and pay what's due. Well, first of all, I, if you do your own taxes, I'd go get yourself a CPA. Because I had a situation in my practice where I got a notice from the IRA, and it's, IRA, from the IRS, and it showed something like six or seven times payroll taxes I hadn't I hadn't paid him. It wasn't me. Now, she hadn't figured out how it happened, but none of it pertained to me. So they think that you had such a sharp increase that you're subject to quarterly tax payments because you had a big increase in your income, is my guess. But if you have the same income from, say, pensions and Social Security, and you've never paid on a quarterly basis, uh, I have no idea what occurred. But it sounds so crazy to me that I would want to have a tax professional step in and deal with the IRS. Good luck. 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Pardon me if you've covered this between the time I walked from my car to inside the home. I'd like to point out that new 10-year rule does have a grandfather provision. I understand the 10-year rule does not apply to those inherited before 2019. Well, I just uh, read the email from uh, a friend who said that they were not going to require it for 2022, and that came from her CPA. So luckily, uh, I don't have a dog in this fight, and I'm not a CPA. So this actively managed stock fund I own, last year in 2022, it ranked 94th, like 100 is the worst you can get, okay? Uh, But guess what? This year, uh, it ranks two. And in 2021, which was a good year for the stock market, this stock fund ranked four. So over four years, its ranking was four, 94, and two. Well, that's active management. If it was, if it ranked on the benchmark every year, then why would I buy it? I buy the passively managed benchmark. Let me give you another example. Uh, that was a large cap value fund that I own. Uh, I give you a small cap value fund that I own. And let me give you, this year it's up 7.69%. And and that puts it in, again, the 94th percentile where 100 is terrible, not good. So in 2021, which was a good year for stocks, it ranked 90th, really stunk it up. Then last year, which was a terrible year for stocks, it ranked number three. And guess what? This year, a good year for stocks, it ranks number 94. That's just the way it goes. And then when you think about putting together a mutual fund uh, allocation, 
you can get the index, you can get the index returns. There's got to be a compelling reason, in my view, to own active management. Well, we're out of time. A lot of fun this afternoon. As always, I want to thank Matt for doing his terrific job. I want to thank you for listening and remind you that next Saturday, after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 